of a modern man. Still no master snow from the deserts in the hottest sand. And welcome to the latest episode of the Modern Man podcast. Today, I have the great pleasure of speaking to Mr. Sam Conley, all the way over from Belfast. The, techn- the technology is amazing. Um, <laughs> let's just have these conversations. Sam's a really interesting guy. I've come across it and had a few conversations with him uh, previously, and I thought uh, I've listened to his story. And I thought I had to bring him on here, really, so that everyone else can uh, can learn something from him. Um, so Sam runs a gym. He's a personal trainer, uh, former bodybuilder, professional bodybuilder. Um, and he's got a pretty interesting backstory. Sam, how's it going, buddy? I'm good. How are you? I am tip-top. I'm in a really good mood today. Excellent. Long time, no speak. So I've been... Uh, yeah, it's been a while. Yeah. Last time we spoke, I was in Manchester. Looking forward to catching up, mate. Yeah, yeah, it's been good. So tell me, man. Let's start at the beginning, really. Um, yeah. So you're a big guy now. Um, you look, you're you're a fine specimen of a man. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. I'll take that. <laughs> um, like, what were you like as a kid? What was you like as a little boy? Well, that's that's the thing. I mean, I I battled with my weight all my life, so I was the fat kid at school. Yeah. So, I tell the story now in my seminars about how childhood obesity is something I'm pretty passionate about now, actually, because I look around. And, Interesting. Yeah, where I was the fat kid in the class out of 30, and I stood out for that reason. Sadly, now that's nearly reversing. Um, yeah. It's nearly the, the kids that are normal weight now that stand out because they're kind of in the minority. But coming right through school, I mean, I was really, really badly bullied at school. Um, yeah. I was the guy getting kicked around the playground, getting my head flushed down else because of my weight and that's actually that's going right back to primary school um so i've, I've always struggled with my weight um and i mean I've, I've so many memories from from childhood where that you know that still kind of haunts me things like whenever i was um at grammar school and all my mates were wearing levi 501s that was the that was the thing to wear given my yeah. age away, but i mean they just didn't make them big enough for me even back then um silly Welcome to being black, man. (laughs) 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 We gonna wear we gonna wear five (laughs) hundred ones. My poor mother tried everywhere in Northern Ireland to get a pair big enough for me, and they just didn't make them big enough. But I mean, my legs were so fat that I was I was going through school trousers, maybe maybe you know a pair every six or eight weeks because my legs were chafing so badly that they were wearing apart. So so what? uh, what kind of caused that? What were you, was it? Just were you just overeating, or were you just a big kid? Yeah, just massively overeating, and then that kind of that stayed with me. Then uh, my book comes out now later this year, and the first chapter of my book, not to give the whole story away, but it sort of tells the story about how, from I was about four years of age, all I wanted to do in life was to be a policeman. Yeah. Was a policeman, so from four years of age, I knew exactly what I wanted to do in life, and it was, yeah. it was like a profession basically. So, if you'd ask me at eight, What do you want to do when you grow up, Sam? Want to be a policeman? If you ask me at 12, Want to be a policeman? Got really good GCSEs, went on to do my A levels, but I was only biding my time until I was 18 and I could join the police. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, even at, at grammar school, I was predicted really high A levels. And, you know, you've got to apply for university. And I was like, no chance joining the police. The moment I'm 18, I'm joining the police. And the day I was 18, my form went in. 
my application form. So you have like 14 years of a dream that's building up to that moment. Yeah. And the day that I went for my entrance exam, it was all over in five minutes because I was so heavy that uh, before I could even before I could even sit down and do the exam, the guy was like, I'm sorry, I've taken your height and weight and your BMI is off the fucking scale. So oh, <laughs> there's, wow. no, there's no way we can. So 14 years of dream, bang, gone in seconds. So that's how my weight has impacted me all my life. And, and hadn't anyone like picked that up with you or hadn't you picked that up with yourself that that was oh, going to be an issue? You know what? My head was well and truly buried in the sand at that stage. I mean, I, yeah. uh, it's not that I wasn't active because I was. I played rugby and stuff. Well, I played rugby because I was fat enough to be a prop. <laughs> <laughs> That's basically why I played rugby. But yeah. uh, no, I just ate too much. I just ate far too much. And, and then, what was your kind of like weapon of choice? Is it sweets and cakes or is it all the chips? And- uh, sweets, yeah, sweets and cakes and biscuits. I mean, Jaffa cakes I could get through. I could get through a multi-pack of Jaffa cakes in 10 minutes uh, very, very easily. Or crunchy nut cornflakes. Me and my wife, Kathy, joke about this now. We, we always joke about crunchy nut cornflakes because I was literally eating fistfuls out of the box. Like, I mean, that's, I didn't need a bowl and milk. I just, <laughs> I just needed... So, but, I mean, I, I actively started dieting, if you like, in my teens because I can remember about... I was probably about 15 or 16 when Slim Fast came out. Right. I can remember thinking, that's the answer. I'm actually going to be thin for the first time in my life here. And I could diet. Back then, I could always lose a stone really, really quickly. But then I would rebound like crazy and put a stone back on. Do you know what I mean? So I do. I, I do. You know the crack? I dieted myself from 15 stone up to 21 and a half stone, basically. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Just a gradual process, and then in my in my twenties, that got worse. In my thirties, that got worse again. Um, and then in my thirties, it kind of took a more sinister turn because it would turn then to secret eating and binge eating in a big way. So right. I I would try and because I was so conscious of my weight. I mean, I'd lost count of the number of nights I cried myself to sleep as a thirty-something-year-old man because of my weight. Um, but I would starve myself all day all day because I was so desperate to lose weight and I would get through to maybe now there's days I could I, I would get the full 24 hours of a of a people call it fasting now back then I was starving. yeah it wasn't, it wasn't fasting I would go as long as I possibly could but invariably I would only get to maybe five o'clock or half five um so I mean if you tech when I owned the motorbike business just before the whole gym thing and the weight loss kicked off. I mean, I'd be closing up that business at half five and it was about a 25 minute journey home to, to my house. And I mean, I would polish off 5,000 calories a shit on that 20 minute journey and then wow. hide all the wrappers and all the rest of it. And then, and then that would be me starting to eat them for the rest of the evening. Yeah. I was in so much denial. I mean, if you'd said to me, my God, Sam, why are you so heavy? I would have been saying to you, I have no idea because I eat nothing. You know, I have no idea why I'm so heavy because I was just doing all this. I mean, I was, it wasn't just that I was doing it in secret to other people. I was doing it nearly in secret to myself because I was in total denial. Of what I was denial, doing. yeah, yeah. And then the, the guilt and the shame would kick in. Um, and then I was making myself sick. I was eating soup to make myself vomit at night because the, the feeling on my stomach was, I couldn't, I couldn't cope with that, you know, that busted feeling because you've just literally, you yeah. can't eat anymore. Um, so I mean that, that 
that wasn't good. You know, that wasn't a good place to be at all. Definitely yeah, I wasn't. Imagine. What was the um, what was like the impact on the rest of your life? Like, what was going on outside of that? Did it have an effect, or were you? Was it like being a functioning alcoholic sort of thing? Like, were you doing all right? You know what? I mean, I was running my own business. I'd had my own business at that stage for maybe fifteen years. I was doing well. Uh, had the motorbike shop. Um, I had all the nice things I would overcompensate. So, I'd, you know, I had my house in the country, the nice car, I had a boat, I had the, the latest motorbike, I had okay. all, all these sticking plasters to try and make me feel better about myself. When I'm actual it, fact, isn't I it quite, so, so presumably, like everyone look, probably looked at you and were, thought you were living the dream, like, you know, mm-hmm. or you were super yeah. successful and stuff. Yeah. The number of people that said to me, oh, God, Sam, so happy. And, and it's funny because I only have one or two before pictures. And people have said to me, why don't you change that before picture? Why don't you use a different before picture? Because we've seen that one. I said, I don't have them. Because the moment a camera would appear, I would I would vanish. I just wouldn't be there. But, but they always say, you always look so happy in your before pictures. And I was like, mate, I'm crying a rubber here. Absolutely crying a rubber. And then say, I was far from happy. But And I see this with clients now that come to me especially yeah. girls especially they'll have the designer shoes and the handbags and the hair and the makeup and the nails and all the rest it's all this massive overcompensation when deep down they just want to be thinner and yeah. because they because they can't tackle that then they, they try and add on all these extra things so that i had a i had a client here talking um for, she came to me with exactly the same issue the the sort of the the cycle of yeah. what, what you said you know the yo-yo dieting but you just keep going up and up and up. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the things I, I take all of my clients through when they come here is about sort of what, what the unconscious mind does and what its, what, what its jobs are. Yeah. And one of the things is that obviously your unconscious mind runs your body. Okay. So you don't think about uh, breathing or blinking or, you know, walking, driving, all of this stuff. Your unconscious mind does all of that because you couldn't, you would be on overload if you were having to yeah. think about doing it. One of the things is, because of this, your unconscious mind has a blueprint of what your body is like in perfect health. Yeah. Okay, So deep in the recesses of your mind, your body knows what it should be like, how heavy it should be, how active it should be, um, you know, what its heart rate should be. It knows. Yeah. And one of the things that is probably quite controversial that I, that I say is I don't buy into the um, unhealthy, happy people. (laughs) I just think that, because I've been there as well, I was 120 kilos at at my height, um, sort of seven, eight years ago. Um, I was was a big guy. I took a photo, my mum had a photo, because I was a bit like you, there's not actually that many photographs. I found one at my mum's the other day, I've got it on my phone. Um, Oh, I sat on this boat like I was, just like, and, yeah, but I had this smile on my face and I reckon I clocked the smile and it was, it was that I just think in the back of your mind, if you're not healthy or not fit or you're, you know, if you, when you, when you are overweight, I don't care what you say to other people. There is something in the back of your mind that pr- will be preventing your, your, your sense of fulfillment, your sense of contentment and happiness. There will be, I don't care what you say to everybody else. It's really, really difficult to yeah. be happy and unhealthy at the same time, I think. I completely agree with that, because I know I was loving grief off it. And I yeah. see it in clients too, because clients will come to me and go, oh no, I'm happy enough, Do you know what I mean? I'm happy enough. But, and then you speak to them when they've lost four or five stone, and they're yeah. going, 
I, well, either they'll say to me, no, nah, I was lying. I wasn't happy at all. Yeah. Or, they'll, or they'll say to me, do you know what? I obviously didn't know what happiness was. Correct. Yeah, yeah. I conditioned it's, myself. Because it's in the back of your mind. You can you can fool the, the logic part. You can come up with all this stuff, like you might have done at that point, which is I've got all this stuff. Look at me with my boat and my house and my cars. Um, I've got to be happy, you know. Um, but in the back of your mind, there will always be something that's that's gnawing away at you that that your body isn't doing what it's supposed to be doing. No, I one hundred percent agree with you on that. I defy anybody to tell me otherwise. To be honest with you, because I've been there and because I had suffered that for almost thirty eight years of my life. Yeah, you know what I mean, that's why I say to people, look, I'm I'm well qualified to tell you how miserable we are when we're heavy. You know, what I mean? yeah, yeah. It's a, it's weird though. That's a really that's a really controversial thing to say. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And but that's the thing. I know, but I've seen this with hundreds of clients as well. Yeah, you know what I mean. As I say, there's those two scenarios. They'll turn around and say, "Yeah, I was talking shit." Of course, I wasn't happy. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Or they'll just say, "No, I, I realize now that I wasn't happy." You know what I mean? Because there, I haven't met anybody that has done it properly that has turned around and said, "Oh my God, I was so much happier when I was fat." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> What I mean? That's no, nobody's ever said that. Nobody's ever said that. Yeah, Loads yeah. of their friends do. Loads of their friends go, "Oh, you used to look much better." I used to get that as well, isn't it? Oh yeah, without a doubt. But that's only because when that person has lost weight, it makes that friend feel bad about their own situation. For sure, for sure, it's rubbish. So, so what triggered the the the, the your big change then? I mean, I, I quite remember. I remember my moment. I presume you you remember yeah, well, yours, little. I can remember my moment. Okay, I, I locked up the shop one Saturday and went to buy a suit for a wedding. Um, so locked up the motorbike shop, suit shop was about five minutes away. Went in and I asked the guy for a suit and I asked him for a 30-inch waist trouser because um, I, I couldn't bring myself to ask for a 40. Right. 40 sounded, there was this thing about 40, I couldn't possibly be a 40. So Been there, mate. I've still, I found them the other day. I got a pair of 40-inch Hugo Boss Trousers in there. <laughs> I, just, I just couldn't bring myself to say it was that. So the, the guy gave me a funny look, but he handed me a 44-inch chest and a 38-inch waist, and I took it into the changing rooms. And I was in there for a while, and he came, pulled the curtain back, and I, I literally I couldn't get them past my knees. And his exact words to me was my trigger point, because he said, um, mate, you're more like a 44. You're more like a 44-inch waist. And it was, I was a 44 inch waist and it was a yeah. 15 inch waist. But that was that. I took off what he'd give me, packed the whole thing up, thanked him for his time, left the shop, went out, sat in my car and cried for about an hour. Uh, and that was it. That was the turning point. That whole weekend was just, was just a weekend of tears, to be honest with you, because when I looked in the mirror that day in the changing room, it hit me what a mess I was. And yeah. All the things I've been doing to try and mask it and all the lies I've been telling myself and all the bluff and the bullshit and everything else. It was like the scales fell away from my eyes when yeah. I was standing thinking, Sam, no, this is the truth here. Looking back at you, this is the truth. This is what you've let yourself get to now. So, I mean, I was, I was 38, 39, high blood pressure. I had been in hospital two or three times with heart scares already in my 30s, like. Do you know what I mean? Real chronic ABS. And, you know, all these things were getting pushed to one side in my head. Oh, it's nothing to do with my weight. It's nothing to do with my weight. Nothing was ever anything to do with my weight. And that day, it was just like an avalanche coming down on top of me. Yeah. And the scary thing about it was, you know, I knew I was a mess. I knew I had hit rock bottom. 
but I hadn't a clue what to do about it. Not a clue. And it's so that whole weekend, it's not that I felt sorry for myself because I'd spent a lifetime feeling sorry for myself. It wasn't that at all. It was nearly this this awakening and this fear. You know, the shit has hit the fan here. What are you going to do about this? Um, so on the Monday then, I went to do a lodgement at the bank for the business. And I drove to the bank and it was in like a retail park. And there was, um, at that time, it was JJB Sports. It was the, JJB was the gym. Yeah. I'd never, I mean, I drove past this every day. And I'd never paid any attention to the place. And I was like, you know what? That's what I need to do there. I'll go in here and join the gym. So parked the car up and went down and said, I need to join the gym here. And they'd done all the things. And, and I said, right, I'll just, I'll start tomorrow morning, whatever. She goes, no, no, you need to do an abduction. You can't, you can't just start. And I was like, no, do you know what? Forget about it. Forget about it. Because I'm standing there and thinking, no, I can't do this. And she goes, look, I have a slot tomorrow morning at nine o'clock. Just come tomorrow morning, get your induction out of the way. And that's you sorted then. So it took everything that I had because I had to go then and buy gym gear because I didn't have, I didn't have anything I could wear to the yeah. gym. So it was like three XLs to, to turn up in this gym the next day for this induction session. And he wrote me out a wee program, just a wee simple, simple program, but a cardio and stuff like that there. And I done that five days a week. So I went down Monday to Friday and I done that. Um, and I had three stone off in three months. Okay. Uh, and, and so and what about the food stuff? I hadn't a clue what I was doing. So mm. I just, I just started... I stupidly, because I didn't know any better, I started thinking, right, what do you do when you want to lose weight? So you um, you cut fat out, isn't that what you do? Because that's what all the magazines say and the TV says. So yeah. I looked and I thought, right, there's fat in that, so I'll not eat it. So three stone in three months, and then all of a sudden the weight loss started to slow down a wee bit. Yeah. So I started training twice a day, seven days a week, and I, I cut the food out even more. So I had five stone off in five months, and I looked like shit. Absolutely, look like shit. Um, to the extent that one of the personal trainers in the gym came up to me and he said, "You've lost some amount of weight, boy." And I says, "Yeah, it's great. Like a five stone off there now. I was twenty-one and a half stone, a five stone off in five months." And he says, "Yeah, that's great, but you're in here every morning, and then I know somebody that lives in the town that you live in, and they say that they they see you running the roads every night as well." You know, you're, you're doing an awful lot. You need to be really, really careful because there's a thing called overtraining syndrome. Yeah. And you just be careful that you don't have that. And I was like, I was like, all right, no bother. And I'm going away thinking, a five stone off in five months, I think I know what I'm doing here. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, give me a break. Something's clearly working. Because I couldn't see then what other people were starting to see. I had mates coming to me and saying, look, what's the crack here? Because we've got people phoning us and saying, the Sam got cancer or something or what's going on? Because I look awful absolutely awful and then i ended up in my doctor's surgery um, because i was convinced that my heart was beating so fast that i could nearly see it beating on my chest and the reality was that my heartbeat was dangerously dangerously slow and uh, i wiped out for two days then completely body just completely shut down wow. but that was that was the turning point because yeah. that was five stone off that's me thinking Right, okay, I've clearly done something wrong here, but there's one thing I know. I can't ever, ever, ever be that fat person in the changing room again. Right. So I need to sort this shit. And I had a, it was like a second light bulb moment then because I thought, you know what? The missing link here is the food because anybody I asked about food and nutrition either doesn't know or gives me all this conflicting advice. 
So that's when I started studying. Minefield, isn't it? It's a minefield, but that's, do you see the more I studied, I mean, I started studying nutrition, done that, sports nutrition, done that, started doing specialisms with guys like Liam Norton and Rehan Jahali, and I was so, I mean, I was spending a fortune on this nutrition training, but yeah. it was, and it was never to set a business up, it was just to stop myself being fat. Man, yeah. But the, the more I learned about food and about nutrition and all the rest of it, and started implementing that in myself, I could see my body starting to change in a really dramatic way. So then all of a sudden I had seven stone off and I was I was fit and I was healthy and everything was working the way it should be working. And that's that started me off on studying nutrition and gave me this real passion for it that has never stopped. But at that stage, I'm still running the motorbike shop. Um, and because I'm, because I'm qualified in nutrition, I'd close the motorbike shop at half five every night. And then I would take clients from half past five to 10 o'clock writing nutrition plans. <laughs> So, so I would have people coming up to the shop even during the day going, this might sound like a silly question, but are, are you the diet man? <laughs> <laughs> I ended up writing more diets and I was selling motorbikes. <laughs> it's cool. Yeah, it's really cool. So, um, so that's your kind of like the journey. So uh, let's carry on talking about this part first. The, how did you get into like the bodybuilding side of things then? What happened then was I, I was going through the divorce from hell uh, very shortly after that. Um, right. Things things turned turned very poor. Um, things hadn't been good on that side of things anyway at a home front. And then me losing the weight was that was just the that was the final nail in the coffin basically. So the 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 mental abuse that I had been suffering for a few years that escalated then the physical abuse. All right. Um, so I'm going through the divorce from hell. I've closed down the motorcycle shop. I've discovered the guy that was working to me for 11 years was stealing thousands off me. Um, so I'm dealing with that. I'm dealing with closing the shop down. I'm, I'm trying to get my own gym opened um, in my own hometown here in Lamabadi. Um, I'm doing my eating. I'm doing my training. Everything's going really, really well. And then one of the, it's one of the top guys in the world that I uh, was fortunate enough to study under kind of took a shine to me because you know as he put it to me he says there's there's guys here because they're famous in this industry or whatever the case may be and that's why they're studying under me you're this wee fat guy from ireland who has <laughs> lost seven stone bust his ass to be here and genuinely genuinely wants to learn about nutrition so he took me under his wing and he was kind of mentoring me then um, and we had a very very frank discussion one day about how i had body dysmorphia and how right. when i Looked in the mirror, I, I knew that I was 14 stone as opposed to 21 and a half stone. I knew I, I was in good shape and all the rest. I knew I was wearing a 32 inch waist as opposed to a 44 inch waist, but I still seen that fat person looking back at me. Okay. So he said to me, look, he says, here, I'm going to throw this out here. He says, this is what I think you should do. He says, you can train, you can diet. None of that is, is, is in question. You, you love it. You love the regime of it. You've all this shit going on in your life right now. You need something to focus you, something that, that you can cling to, a land grab, if you like. He yeah. says, I think you should compete. And I was like, catch yourself on. There is no chance. There's not a hope hell that I could stand on stage and compete. No chance. And he says, well, I think that's what you need to do. He says, and then you will have pictures on the day you will see yourself on the day and you will finally wake up to the fact that you're no longer that person so he says i'm telling you now get signed up for a show and start 
at 16 week prep and get yourself on stage. And that's how I ended up doing my first show. It was as simple as that. Wicked. How did it, how did you, how did you feel on the day of that, like getting up on the stage in the end? Awful. Yeah. Absolutely awful. I mean, I look at the pictures now and I'm so proud of myself and all the rest of it. Um, and it's amazing because I mean, I had, I had a very respected coach come to me a few weeks after I had actually signed up for the show. And there, there's another guy in Belfast who had always been very, very supportive on my own journey, um, who was a, a professional, WBFF professional. So he was prepping me for the show because I trusted him to do that. But another guy that I would have trusted too took me to one side one day and he says, I heard a wee rumor that you're going you're gonna to compete, you're going to go on stage. And I was playing the whole thing down at this stage. And I said, oh, you never know. You never know. And he said, I'm going to give you a wee bit of advice. He says, do you see coming from the size that you were? He says, if you think you're ever going to get your abs out to go on stage, you're crazy. And he says, see, it's actually quite sad. He says, because you've achieved so much, you're doing all this to help other people and everything else now. Just content yourself. Just content yourself where you're at and get this stupid idea of competing out of your head. Wow. So that was the that was the final spur I think I needed to make sure that I did get my yeah. arms out and did get on stage. <laughs> but having said that, my, my, I'd had a very honest conversation with a prep coach and I said, look, there's a chance I will do this whole prep. I will go up to the day of the show and I may not be able to go on stage. I might not be able to do that. But as long as I know that I've given this 100%, we'll take some pictures or whatever the case may be. But just so we're both clear and just so you're not disappointed at the time. But I just might not be able to do that. But as it, as it transpired, with his support and with Kathy's support and everything else, I went on stage that first day and I won Mr. Body Transformation Ireland. So. Wow. <laughs> Brilliant. That's a good story, man. <laughs> that was in March, and then we went straight back into another prep, and I won Mr. Body Transformation Europe then in the same June. Cool. <laughs> so from but going on stage is still wrecks my head. That's that's still the worst. Give me the sixteen weeks of dieting and training and all the rest of it. That's the easy part. That's the the five minutes on stage. That's the hard part. It always is, though, isn't it? I, like I, 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 I box competitively. It's the same thing. The, but having said that, what does it feel like when you're stood there and you get handed the the trophy or whatever, and you find yeah. out you win? But that's the thing. At, at, in our sport, I mean, I competed at at York University for UK Ultimate Physiques, and there was about twenty guys in my category, yeah. and were them to get on stage i mean they were so excited backstage that they just yeah. it was like a it was like a kid on christmas eve and yeah. i'm standing there thinking i just want this over with just yeah. give me my medal and let me go home do you know what i mean like this is just but those guys were i guess I mean? yeah it's different isn't it you know what i mean i remember standing looking at them and thinking my god i wish i felt like that there that must be that must be epic to stand out there and be so proud of yourself do you know what i mean the guys yeah. Look what I've done in the last four months. Peacocking. <laughs> but that's it's just not me, and that's okay. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just I love the discipline, I love the process, I love seeing where I can take myself to. Do you know what I mean? And yeah, I do yeah. I, I love the fact then that I get messages from people saying, you know, you inspire me. 
you know, when other people that compete now message me and say, you were the reason that I started to compete, you know, your, your first show or your second show or whatever, that was my inspiration to start. So, so that's kind of why I do it my too, to be honest with you. That is an inspiring story, mate. Uh, and like I said, I've, obviously I've been kind of following you for a while now. Um, and so, so I've, I've seen it and delved a little deeper and, and, and looked at your, your photos and stuff like that. Um, talk to me. Let's go back again then a little, a little bit more. Um, obviously, something else that you that you speak about publicly, and it's definitely a really interesting topic for us to discuss on this podcast, is what was going on there with um, with, with your marriage um, and stuff yeah. like that. Um, how long were you married? Was it your first wife? Yeah, first wife. Fifteen years. Fifteen years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What was what was was it ever happy? The thing was, because of what I was, who I was, the size I was, how I felt about myself, and when you're told something often enough, I think you believe it too. I was oh. lucky. I was lucky to have anyone. What, whatever you repeat to yourself, yeah, yeah, becomes the truth. Well, of course, it does, so all, yeah. all whatever is repeated to you. So if someone says something to you over and over and over and over again, it just becomes your truth, whether it's true or not. Um, and if certainly the conversations you have in your head. That happens even quicker. You end up believing it. So when you're told often enough, but you know yeah. what? You might not be happy, whatever the case may be, but you know, you're lucky to have me because as I kept being told, you know, I married the fat Sam. I took the fat Sam. Who else would have wanted him? Yeah. You know what I mean? So you and then I ended up going I was a hamster on a wheel, going through the motions, trying to keep trying to keep everybody around me just happy for a quiet life. Because maybe if I had a quiet life, maybe nobody would look at me and think about my weight and all the rest of it. So I put every ounce, I realize this now, looking back, I didn't realize this at the time, but I put every ounce of energy I had into just pleasing everybody, keeping everybody happy. Because maybe if everybody around me was happy, they wouldn't say I was fat, if that makes yeah. sense. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how I see it now. When I look back at some of the things I used to do for people and all the rest of it, whereas now I would just say, no chance that doesn't serve me, so I'm not doing that. That, that's a, a a confidence issue, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? Like, t- totally. If you're that's all sort of people pleasing and stuff like that, that it comes as part of the package, isn't it? Of course it does. So I was I was caught in that trap. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, was it was it ever happy? Looking back on it now, of course it wasn't. Definitely wasn't. But it was. There was always that element of control and that element of because I was this twenty odd stone person and she was somebody that was like eight stone, never struggled with her weight. She didn't get that side off it at all. Um, so there was always that conflict there, but then I would be constantly the one backing down all the time because I was the subservient one in the, the relationship. I was the one that was making the peace all the time and just trying to keep everything happy. But then when I when I started to lose weight, it's not that I became confident overnight. No. Far from it, in fact, but I started to, started to view things a bit differently. And, you know, I wanted to eat healthy where she would be wanting to have takeaways and stuff at the weekend. And I'd be saying, yeah, knock yourself out. That's fine. But I'm just going to, I'm just going to go with my, my choice here or whatever, but you eat whatever you want. Do you know what I mean? So that didn't fit well. And then all of a sudden people were, you know, passing remarks. No, you're looking really well and you've lost weight and all the rest of it. And I was, you know, prioritizing my health and going to the gym, but I was doing it. I was doing it before work and everything else. It wasn't interfering in in home time. You know, it's not, I was constantly at the gym. Um, 
So all these things were starting to change. Now all of a sudden there was just just started off with we we silly comments like um, so this this going to the gym and losing weight. This is the new golf then, or this is the new shooting, or this is the new boat, or this is whatever. So you know, what's it going to be? Two months? Is it going to be three months? And then you go back to being fat again. Is that is that how this is going to play out? And I can remember thinking, no, it's that's that's not. I, I know why you're saying that because that's what I've always done. I've picked these things up and done them for a month or two, realized I was shit at them, so threw them to one side and moved on to the next one. But I can remember thinking, no, this is different. This is totally, totally different. And I can remember trying to justify it and saying, Well, you're a nurse. So are you not happy to see me, you know, reversing my IBS, reversing my high blood pressure? I was pre-diabetic. Now I'm the complete opposite of that. You're not happy to see me doing that. I just don't like it. I just don't like it. You're you're obsessed. You know the usual when anybody yeah. starts behind their health. Yeah. Obsessed. But then it, it kind of it it moved into I would I would go to the gym at six o'clock in the morning before work. So then my car keys would be hid. Uh, so I couldn't get my car out, or uh, her car would be reversed across the back of my car, and her car keys. Would be had there'd be silly week games like that start to be played to oh, try and wow. prevent me from getting to the gym. Oh. That was awful. And then it would escalate then to I would come out of the gym and she'd be sitting outside watching to see, you know, was it coming out alone? Was it coming out with somebody else? Was it at the gym at all? Other people in the gym would be saying, Oh, your wife's been driving around there. She must be looking for you. <laughs> These sort of silly week games. Oh. <laughs> And then it was, right, okay, there's new rules in the house now. So uh, see the way you're doing this eating every two and a half or three hours or whatever, that ends now. So we don't eat in this house after six o'clock anymore. That's the new rule. Where I would have been maybe eating, you know, I'd gone from binge eating every night to all of a sudden I was eating breakfast and I was eating lunch and I was eating, you know, my dinner and then I was maybe having something else, you know, a couple of hours later or whatever. That ends now. Okay, so that's a new rule in the house. So that went on for a week and then I was like, well, whatever, whatever it has to be, has to be. And then I was like, I've decided now, I don't like the smell of porridge anymore. So porridge is banned from this house. So that was the next level of it. Yeah. And then it was, then it was fish, you know, because I was eating cod and salmon and things that got there. Yeah. I don't like the smell of fish anymore. Fish is now banned from this house as well. So this just keep this kept escalating and escalating all the time, getting worse and worse. And then it turned physical then. So... Broken bones and all the rest of it. Wow. Yeah. Mm. Okay, so that that's so you've gone. It's just it, like you said. It's a clear sort of escalation. But it was more or less like right. So you're not backing down in this, okay? Well, I need to wrap things up then. Yeah. Okay. And you're still not backing down, okay? I I need to I need to move this up another notch then. And, and even back. before we go into the physical side of it, it's unusual. I guess we don't hear about the uh, women doing even psychological domestic abuse with, with guys, let alone. Um, and it, me it happens because I've spoken about this a few times and the number of people that have contacted me off the back of it to yeah. say, I'm in that exact situation. What the hell did you do to get out of it? So it definitely goes on. There's no, but I mean, I can remember being pinned in a corner. I can remember being pinned in a corner one night with a knife and me saying my, my wrist had been broken about two weeks before this. And I mean, I'm having to go to, to A&E with a broken wrist and lie and say that me and my mates are messing about. And one of them had just 
you know, sort of been a wee bit too rough and I put my hand down to save myself and I broke my scaphoid um, because she was a nurse and she would have lost her job, obviously, if I had said what she had done. So I'm going in there and lying to protect her. But, you know, I can remember being pinned in a corner and saying, I'm going to phone the police. I'm going to phone the police and tell them what you're doing. <laughs> and her smugly saying back to me, so who are they going to believe now? They're going to believe me? I'm half your size. Who are they going to believe? Seriously. And I remember standing thinking, you're actually right. You are actually right. Who are they going to believe? I mean, I was ran over by her in the car with my two children in it about three weeks before one of my shows physically ran over. And I mean, I will take my eldest daughter screaming in that car to the grave with me that day. To the grave with me. That's one of the most harrowing things that's ever happened to me. Wow. That's, yeah, I mean, I've, I've never, uh, in the man club, we've got a few guys who have come out and sort of spoken about it, certainly psychological stuff, but I've never heard a, a story like that in a, in a conversation. So, even, like, even perception, do you know what I mean? I remember thinking to myself, you know, if I had done, and that's the thing, I was always able to, never lost my temper, never retaliated or anything else, because I wouldn't, I wouldn't have done it anyway, do you know what I mean, no matter how provoked I was, but I remember one of my friends, it was only about two people that knew what was going on, and I've said this before in seminars, there was mornings I was going into the gym to train with my headphones on, but I had no music turned on, because I couldn't even bear to listen to music, I just had the headphones on, so that nobody would speak to me, because it was they had even spoke to me, I would have burst into tears, because of what I'd maybe gone through the night before, or maybe in the middle of the night. Um, I mean, it wouldn't have been the first night because we were in separate rooms for a long, long time. It wasn't the first time I woke up in the middle of the night just standing over the top of me looking at me. Or one night, taking a wheel brace to my car in the middle of the night to try and break into my car. That sort of stuff. The first night that I... This friend of mine, he, he came and met me for coffee one day and he said, how's things now? And I said, it's not good, but I've worked it out. I just need to see this out for like the next 15 years or whatever the kids is older and I'll go then and he phoned me that afternoon and he says I can't get what you said out of my head because he'd been through a breakup too it wasn't like mine it was just a breakup it just a, it didn't get on anymore yeah uh, he says I can't believe can't believe that you're prepared to waste the next 15 years of your life he says I can't get my head around that he says I'm going to tell you something now he says she will come at you one time too often she will hit you one time too often and you will walk and it's not going to be in 15 years time he says that is going to happen um and i would say it wasn't five weeks later that exact thing happened exact same thing happened it was just one night it just it got too nasty i got afraid i was crying because i always cried she knew she could have me crying in, in a couple of minutes that's what i done and then the more I would cry, it nearly fueled the whole thing. Yeah. Um, and that one night, I just remember looking and thinking, no. And I said to her, that's, I'm gone. I'm out of here. I can't take this anymore. Um, and I packed a couple of bags and I slept on the floor of the shop for a few nights. Um, and that, that was probably the first night I had slept properly in a couple of years. Yeah, yeah, So how long was that going on for? The real bad stuff, about, I'd say about a year, year and a half. Wow. 
You said you had kids. Did it, the kids? Did they did they witness that 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 stuff? They knew what was going on. Yeah. The eldest one. Yeah. 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 I mean, both witnessed her running me over because they were in the car along with her. Well, yeah, yeah. Obviously, they were there for that part. Yeah, the other stuff. Yeah, they did. Which is, I, I, it, that that troubles me to be honest with you. Definitely troubles me, but. I mean, I'm in a really good place now. Mara the Kathy, the time we spend with the girders, we have so much time with them, which is fantastic. Um, and it's great time, it's quality time. And and I just I realize now that back then when I was when I was heavy, when I was unhappy and all the rest of it, you know, I was a shit husband, I was a shit father, I was a, a shit boss, I was a shit friend, everything because I was so unhappy myself. Yeah. Now I know what happiness is, so I put so much time and effort into the things and the people that are important to me now. Yeah. You know I mean? so it's, it's not that I'm overcompensating for what happened, it's just that I'm, I make the most of every single day now. Yeah. You know, it's a blessing, basically. So, I mean, Fridays now, Kathy uh, and I stop working at 11 o'clock on a Friday. Um, some of our clients, our online clients, check in on a Friday, the most check in on the Monday. So we do a few hours work here at home in the office. And then we lift the girls at three and half three and Friday is fun day. So we go surfing, we go for pizza, we go to the cinema, we go bowling, we do whatever. Stuff that I couldn't do back then for the simple reason that I was staying and work at 10 o'clock at night because I was afraid to go home. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So that's why I say that to, to people, you know, don't waste these chances to change. No matter what change needs to be, you, you know, if it's your body you're unhappy with, your partner, your job, whatever it is, you know, stop pissing about and messing up these opportunities to change because you have no concept how good things could be coming out the other side of it. You know, because that's that's six years ago. And I look at my life now and I think, you know, how can a life change so dramatically in a couple of years? Yeah. You know, so you'd started doing the bodybuilding shows while you were still in that marriage? Uh, I had, no, I had just come out of it. I had just come out of it at that stage. Okay, so you came out of the marriage... Yeah. Then you then you started prepping for, for, for the shows and stuff like that. Um, and that's so that's the trajectory changes at that point. Big time, yeah. Everything starts to fall into place. Obviously the I've gone through the divorce from hell as well as trying to prep for a show. So yeah, she wasn't gonna leave that she, oh, she... <laughs> no and then that, that continued. I mean that's that's kind of still going on to an extent, to be honest with you. There's silly things like not getting passports to take the kids holidays and having to fight that through courts for four and five months and all the rest of it the more i have 50 percent of the week access to yeah uh, so no that that never went away to be honest with you but i suppose because you start to feel better about yourself and you have a bit higher self-esteem and you have a better circle of people around you because my circle had to completely change because everybody that was in my circle back then turned their back on me so yeah i was left stand on my own and all of a sudden, then the, the right people started to, to come into my circle. Yeah. I mean, I, because of the my new marriage now with, with Kathy, and because we're in Northern Ireland, which is the country that it is, and we have the orange and green issue, and I'm Protestant and Kathy's Catholic, so my own father has turned his back on me now too. So. Oh wow! You don't you don't muck about it. <laughs> <laughs> things easy. So, but that's what I mean. I literally. You know, I have Kathy now, I have the two girls, I have a few very close friends who were clients and have become very close friends and and that's my circle now and that's cool because I have people in my circle now that have my back 150%. Do 
and if I needed them, they'd be there for me. And yeah. I don't have I don't have the people please to have right. them in the circle. Do you know what I mean? But whereas I used to have this big massive circle, all these people I was trying to keep happy. Um, and at the end of the day, I was coming last all the time. I'm I'm intrigued to get your take on my kind of like on my sort of pet subject of masculinity and sort of masculine and feminine energy um and kind of like how you feel because i'm i'm hearing twin in my my brain i've i've i see a journey from from feminine to to masculine where you've 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 flipped that it's it's gone from a place of passivity people pleasing mr nice guy saying yes to everybody allowing all of this stuff to happen to you to yeah. you slowly starting to become more decisive, taking control, seeing a designing your future, starting to say no, putting things in place. Um, to yeah, you've nailed it. Yeah, 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 totally nailed it. That's, that's exactly what it is. Completely. And, and uh, so, is that a kind of like? But but you seem to be you're you're almost the 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 perfect model of that modern man because along with all of that masculinity, that can with. with it, running the businesses that you do and, and, and the control that you now have in your life and the way that you're, you are as a father and a husband and everything else like that. There is still also that, that element of, for me, which is true masculinity of where you're able to, uh, to, to be in touch with your feminine side and to be more in touch with that softer, softer part of you. And um, I'm grateful for that too, because yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's the, that's where the empathy comes in too, yep. because I have a, you know, I have a reputation because I am so busy because my waiting list for personal training is 12 months or more that I can pick and choose who I work with and who I train and everything else. So if a client is messing about, they're gone. I mean, I, I will sack clients in a, in a heartbeat. So I have this reputation for being no nonsense, zero bullshit, straight down the line. Oh, he's so tough and all the rest of it. I mean, that's the best example I can give you is a, is a friend of mine who came to me somewhere to my starting weight, was with me um, a, about a year, lost six stone with me. He was looking amazing, went out to see clients and his job that he hadn't seen since the year before. And he walks in and they're all like, oh my God, mm-hmm. look at you. this is unreal. This is amazing. And one of the girls in the office turned around to him and said, you have to be with Sam Conley. Do we get the results that got there? And he was like, nice. I can't wait to tell him what you said. That's, that's going to make his day, totally make his day. So that's the sort of reputation I have, which is, and that's... Results. That's, yeah, exactly. But somebody that's with me, somebody like him that has been on their journey and all the rest that they'll, you know, I've heard where they've turned around to other people and said, I could phone that man at 12 o'clock at night and he'd sit down and talk to me for an hour, you know, because I want to, I want to binge eat or whatever the case may be. You know, there's, there's that real soft side to me that people maybe don't get. You know, I've, I've had training sessions where a client's really upset about something and I'm sitting crying with them because Kathy has a saying, oh, he's, he's as soft as butter, really. You have no idea. He has this persona, but it's, but it's great because it, it keeps dickheads away from me. <laughs> People that are half-hearted or are going to be hard work or whatever the case may be that aren't 100% interested, they just know, don't go to him because he'll just get rid of you. But that, that to me is the perfect description of it. That, that is exactly what masculinity is all about. It's about knowing what you want, knowing what, knowing what your values are, so what's important to you, the people and the things that you will tolerate being in your space and what you'll spend your time on. 
um, and and knowing who is deserving of what what part of you. Do you know what I mean? Um, and being willing to give it when people when people are um, and and they are in that space and they have that you know that they're, they're there you're you're able to and confident enough to to do that other yeah. stuff and, and I pick and choose how I do that now do you know what I mean yeah I mean, for sure people that I'm coaching for free because I know they can't afford me and yeah. I know I know they need me and they haven't yeah. asked for it for free but you know they've made inquiries and I've realised they just can't afford my prices or whatever but I. I genuinely feel for them and I genuinely know they're good people and they deserve to be helped and deserve the same chance that I've got. And there's people out there who would be going, no way, he coached that girl for months for free. I don't publicize that. Do you know what I mean? I, I pick and choose who I do that with now, but that's that other side of me. Yeah. It's not just all, but if you're not paying me, you don't get my time type of thing. Yeah. That's that, that's that dual side, but I, I feel now that I'm in control of that, as you say. Do you know what I mean? So I, I am what I am whoever and I'll, I'll take people as they find them now so yeah I will be very soft and empathetic and I would do anything for anybody as I would have done back then too but don't take the piss because there's a lot it's a there. different it's a different energy behind it isn't it so you can do the same action but the energy with which you deliver that stuff and, and you do it it's different isn't it back then it was it was in a people pleasing way whereas, yeah. back, whereas now I'm doing it because because I can and I genuinely want to help someone. Yeah, because you choose to rather than feeling that you need to. Yeah, I don't, have to. <laughs> don't have to if I don't want to. Do you know what I mean? I choose to do it now. So, yeah. Yeah, that's. I'm grateful that I have those two sides and people will say to me, you're the coach that you are and you get the results that you are because you've been there. Do you yeah. know what I mean? You know the crack. You know how it feels. You know what we're going through. You know that we're going to hit stumbles and pitfalls along the way and you've most likely been there yourself and you have a strategy to get out of them. Whereas I get people coming to me and saying, you know, my coach just doesn't get me. You know, I, I binged all weekend. I tried to explain that to him. And he's looking at me, he's have to say, are you mad? Why would you do that? Whereas I've been there. Do you know what I mean? Nobody's going to tell me a story that's going to shock me because yeah. I've done it myself. Cool. Man, listen, it's we could go on all night to be fair and I'm, I'm, I've just made a note there that we're going to get you back on again uh, for, for Series 3 and have, a, have, a, have another chat. Um, I'm, I'm also, you're on my hit list to come and visit as well, man. I've got to come and, <laughs> it'd, be, yeah, it'd be brilliant to come over and say hello, man, over, and see see what you're doing over there. It'd be really cool. Uh, Cross is coming across, so you should come Is he? Yeah. Hey, God, don't get me and Cross in the same place at the same time, mate. Do you know what I mean? We'll have everybody bloody happy, won't we? <laughs> Dangerous combination. Um, so... Just just before we wrap up, how let's let's talk business. Let's talk about some of the stuff you're doing. You said you got a book, book out at the moment. You got a book. Book's coming out later this year. Podcast, so it's not it's not as professional as yours. But it's, ah, whatever. Uh, What's the name of the podcast, buddy? Uh, do or die. Do or die. Do or die podcast about change. So it's not about weight loss or anything else. Just about change, about making change. I like that. Uh, just me kind of talking honestly about some of the stuff that I've been through and the hope that it kind of helps people. Um, I'm talking about some issues that clients come across yeah. to try from that point of view. Um, but the, the online coachings where it's really, I have clients all over the world now, which is amazing. That's so humbling. Have you um, got space on your online programs? Um, I'm fairly selective on that, but I always try and, you know, one or two where, where people are, are genuine and they want to want to do really well and they're prepared to put the work in. So yeah, if the, if the right person comes along, I always find space for them for sure. Cool. And so, how do people get in touch with you? Then? 
Um, mostly it seems to be Facebook now. I mean, I have a, yeah, I, have yeah, a, I know the feeling, man. <laughs> uh, Facebook and Instagram. Um, yeah. you get me Sam Connolly Fitness on Facebook or Instagram. Uh, Sam Connolly Fitness, the website's there too. And you can actually book a wee free 10 minute call with me. I've uh, set aside a couple of slots every week where people can can have a wee chat for 10 minutes if they, if they need some help or whatever. So there's a wee option for that as well. Wicked. And like, have you got what's so you got the book coming up this year? Have you got any other sort of plans? Any other business plans? You'd... Maybe, um, maybe do another show later this year. You never know. Yeah, get your kit off. Uh, get me kit off, <laughs> mate. I'll tell you, it's addictive. Even if you find it quite, quite training, like get, once once you start competing at anything, I think like it's uh, it's hard to throw in the towel. Isn't it? One more. I I took a clot in my leg um, on New Year's Eve. Yeah. Um, so I had surgery in February and the clock's still there. So I was back in hospital last week for surgery again. So right. if, I get the, if I get the all clear from that now in the next couple of weeks, you never know, we might start a wee prep and maybe do something about September time or something. So There's no maybe about it. I can see the twinkle in your eye. He's done. It's done. <laughs> Wicked. I love it. You well. <laughs> <laughs> all right buddy thank you very very much for joining us mate it's been a fascinating conversation um a brilliant uh, example of a of, of a real life modern man mr sam Connolly. thanks for coming on board buddy and we'll speak to you again soon thank you mate all right cheers that brings a close to another amazing episode of the Modern Man podcast. We just keep bringing on the um, these uh, guests after guests after guests. We've got some other amazing guys and ladies coming on in the next few weeks. In the meantime, if you want to join in with what we're doing, the Modern Man Revolution, we're on uh, Modern Man Club on Facebook. We've got uh, nearly 800 guys in there now. Um, it's a real cool place to come and hang out. And on the 1st of June, we are launching the Fighting Fit, Modern Man Fighting Fit program, um, which is what we intend to do under the Community Interest Company. So we're running a six-week program in the gym. We're doing uh, martial arts and combat fitness, um, along with 15 minutes of kind of conversation and, uh, and, and man chat. Uh, so we're going to be launching that on the 1st of June at Bristol Fitness Gym. Uh, have a little look on my Facebook page as well, Fidel Bowhill on Facebook page or the Modern Man Coaches. All the information is on there. So thank you very much. Take care and we'll speak to you all next Monday.